your Bibles to Revelation, the 19th chapter, where we've been talking with you about some very blessed things. Revelation, 19th chapter. We're dealing with that portion in God's Word that is the culmination of the ages of all the plans of God without which salvation has no meaning for if Christ is not coming again beloved then there's no hope for this world and there's no hope for the saints because the whole dependency of our hearts is upon the coming of Jesus Christ to receive us unto himself and the portion that I'm dealing with begins at the 11th verse. We discussed the marriage supper of the Lamb in this 19th chapter. And I'd like to just read it and then a few things concerning this. I'll be speaking about it more in the coming weeks in this book of Revelation. Many, many precious things. And this 11th verse says, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the white horse is always the symbol of regalness and power of victorious conqueror. In Rome, this was the mark of the great conqueror. He entered on a white horse. And the king led his armies in the old days, as you know. And so, here is the king, our king, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And here it shows him riding on a white horse. And he that sat upon him was faithful and true. And in righteousness he that judge and make war. I won't comment too much because uh, if I do, I won't get to what I want to say. His eyes were a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And you will remember when we spoke of the bride, up in the eighth verse, it tells us who are robed in fine linen, clean and white, but the children of God, who have already been caught up to be with our Lord. They in Revelation 4.1, we see the door open to heaven and then it speaks of looking from heaven, all the saints of God, the door open to heaven for the church to enter in. And here in Revelation 19, we see the church triumphant coming back with its glorious king. Some people have said to me, it's a terrible thing to think that right after we're married, we're wedded to Christ and we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb that suddenly we have to go to war. But that will be the most joyous moment and the most wonderful experience of the bride of Christ. For there'll be no weapons, no fighting, merely the triumphant entry of Christ and the putting down of all war by the might of his power and the might of his word. The armies never do anything. I thank God for that. They just follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it says there is a, 
a sword that goeth out of his mouth, and the blessed sword is the word of God, for God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And that sword goes out of his mouth, and by his word, just as he created the world, so he brings to an end the great conflict of the ages, the battle of Armageddon. There are some amazing things that I want to say about this battle. I'm not going to say them right now. But some great and mighty truths are here, which, if we can understand them, will involve the nations right now and the UN and even the lining, the, the, the setup in the UN of the nations in great, great sense follows the very nations in the Word of God. Their lineup in the last conflict. Notice he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, and I think you know who the Word of God is. For the Word was made flesh, John says in his first, first the Gospel of John, first chapter, the Word was made flesh, that's Jesus Christ, and came and tabernacled amongst us. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. It's even hard for me to read this, that she may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. To conceive of this, we have just spoken, the two suppers in Scripture are in this one chapter. We've just spoken of the marriage supper of the Lamb and the great joy, the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, the church, hath made herself ready. And then here we come to the great supper of God, the most terrible supper that's ever been upon the face of the earth. When all of those, the mighty men and the kings who oppose God and who declare war on Israel and upon the God of Israel, that's what they're doing. Every time you touch, God says, My people, you touch me. Them that bless Israel, I will bless, and them that curse Israel, I will curse. It's not really a political matter of whether the United States supports Israel or not. Unfortunately, it's decided in the councils of politics. But I have to say that our suckering of Israel over these many years is one of the reasons for the great growth and the might and the power of these United States. For God says, whosoever shall bless my people, them will I bless. And so the scene is set. I'm going to stop there because I wouldn't even cover all this. But the scene is set pretty much for us. And you will remember that last week I mentioned that if we were to enter the doors of nine out of ten churches, or maybe 99 out of 100 churches, or 999 out of 1,000 churches today, 
you would hear nothing of the second coming of Christ and of the portions I have just read. The average preacher avoids them like a plague. Even though, even though if you read the first chapter of Revelation, it tells you that whosoever readeth this book, it's the only book that says it, shall be blessed. And you find the churches all over have nothing to say about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And despite the fact that First John tells us that every man that hath this hope within himself purifies himself even as Christ is pure. The second coming is the inspiration to the human heart to seek to live the life that God wants us to live. Why? Because if we believe in the second coming, we believe in the judgment seat of Christ where we shall answer for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. So when someone tells me there's a new morality, I don't know what they're talking about. There is no new morality. There is the morality of God and the moral code of God. It has never changed and never will change. You can't change it. You can't say, I'm going to make God relevant to me. I like my libertineness, so God, to be relevant to me, I have to decide what I'm going to think about him. The scriptures are clear that every man that hath the hope that Christ is coming again, and this is for young and old, it makes no difference, if young people here believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, then they believe he's coming again. This is one of the marks of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence. That you know that Christ is coming again, and therefore you purify yourself even as he is pure. And you're not interested in what they do in the schools or the colleges, or what professors say, or what intellectuals say, or what anybody says. You're interested in what God says. And God says, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, whose temple ye are. And you treat it as a temple. And this has nothing to do with what all the world says outside. Let them have their new moralities. Let them have their lasciviousness. Let them have their pornography. I'm glad the president said what he said. Praise the Lord. Anybody who doesn't think filthy literature and filthy pictures do not pollute the mind doesn't know what they're talking about. They're demonic possessed and guiding. In this nation's case, it would be just one more of the things that is causing the precipitous fall of the nation that was called out by God in the beginning. Remember, our forefathers came here that they might worship God and might have the freedom to worship Jesus Christ as they were directed in their hearts. And yet this nation, which is only 300 years old practically, has had the most precipitous moral fall in all the history of mankind. No nation of 300 years of age ever fell so fast morally. And you can rest assured it is the devil's work to work upon the one nation of earth that supports 95% of the missionary work of the world. May I remind you of that? 95% of the money of the missionary fields of the world comes from this nation. And if the devil, Satan, could do his great work to this nation in dragging it down, morally precipitous fall, and to crush the church, that's where he's warring. And so here is the great conflict 
And yet, beloved, throughout this land, wouldn't it be a great corrective to this moral decline if the second coming of Jesus Christ was preached in the power of the Holy Spirit in churches and born-again experiences where were required for those who, really, who are really to know Christ as personal Savior, that they might know that they have to be born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, that without the new birth no man can see God, that you're not going to heaven because you're a Baptist, that you're going to heaven because you have a personal relationship to Jesus Christ and Him alone. But what a corrective this would be to the moral decline. To have preachers who really love Christ preaching the second coming of Christ with all their hearts in these last days. If ever it should be preached, it's now. When you see every sign Everything pointing to the coming of the Lord. I couldn't help as I listened to youth thought say to the General Assembly on September 11th, here's a statement, unless mankind can cast aside its present weapons for nuclear warfare and destruction, the future of men on earth is a hopeless thing. And then he said, a nuclear holocaust will be the end of man's existence on this planet. Then he said, the ultimate folly of mankind is its race to suicidal death and extinction. Now, beloved, when world leaders of this character begin to talk in words like this, we as those who are part of the church of Jesus Christ better begin to think seriously about the second coming of our blessed Savior. Why is it that there is, if I might use 1 Thessalonians 5.20, which I spoke on Wednesday night, it says that we are not to despise the prophetic word. And why is there this despising of the prophetic word? Why is it not mentioned? Why is it not used? Well, beloved, for a very simple reason. Can you blame the people? Well, yes, in some sense, probably. The people in the churches who are not conscious of the word of God, never look at the word of God, never expect anything from their preachers. Sure, you can blame the people, in many, many cases, many people call ministers to their churches who never have a born-again experience, and all they want to know is, uh, are you able to do this and do that? Uh, how many degrees do you have? Do you have your doctorate? Do you have this? I know this. I know what happens in churches. Not interested in whether a man is born again, whether he has a message for Jesus Christ, and whether the power of the Holy Spirit rests upon the man. Sure, people are responsible, but I want to tell you the clergy is responsible and the seminaries are responsible. And all of those who are teaching that which is not doctrinally true and leaving out completely the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the second coming is the purifying factor for the church and God says so. And God says if you don't have this hope, you don't have, you don't have anything. And so there are seminaries and the church universal, the organized church, the people taught little or nothing 
about the second coming and about the most important event in all of man's history. But the basic reason is really doctrinal. May I say this and say it very clearly? Because they have forgotten the basic doctrine of man and his sin and his utter and complete depravity. It is gone. And 99% of the church today doesn't preach the second coming of Jesus Christ because they believe that man is going to bring in the millennial age. The average church and the average minister today believes that by some great process of spirituality, some great process of the scientific world and some great process of intellectual capacities that they're going to bring about a world that's perfect. Beloved, all you have to do is use common sense to know that is absolutely ridiculous and it's a surprising thing to me that in a world where we speak of common sense, it's so very uncommon. This world is in the worst condition it has ever been in, right now, universally. I'm not saying that certain nations did not go through the same experience as we do, such as Rome and its great empire. What I'm saying is the world universally, in nation after nation after nation, is in the worst condition it has ever been. And yet men get this idea that somehow they're going to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and going to establish a place where there'll be peace and safety for all. Now what does the Word of God say? And when they cry, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. Because God knows the heart of man. That it is desperately wicked, he says, who can know it? And all we have to do, listen, I, I don't get much chance to listen to the political speakers. But I have to say, when I listen to some of it, I don't know how you would ever know who's honest, who's dishonest, who to vote for or anything else. And I'm not talking here about Democrats or Republicans. I put them all in the same place and say, listen, when you listen to them, do you hear an intellectual approach to the things of the world? Do you ever hear any type of a spiritual approach to the heart of man, to change the heart of man as though we can set up laws that's going to make him love everybody? Why, the only possibility of you loving people is through Jesus Christ. You can then love the unlovely. But you don't love the unlovely unless Christ comes into your heart for he is love manifest. And then it's possible to love. Paul says the love of Christ is shed abroad in our hearts. You see, once you've found Christ as your personal Savior. But it's beyond me, especially in this age we live in, to think that the church and people still talk about organizing a world themselves that will be perfect. All we have to do is look around us to see that just what Jesus says is occurring. He says, in the last days men's hearts shall fail them for fear for the things that are coming upon the earth. He says, in the last days there shall be a falling away. 
in the church itself. He says, in the last days it shall be like the days of Noah. What were the days of Noah? Just go to Genesis 4 and 6, and there it tells you, and God saw that the wickedness of men's hearts was only evil continually, and every thought of his heart was evil. As I said last week, we can put the two great powers on both sides, the Russia and all of its satellites on one side, spoken of in Scripture, United States and Great Britain and all that might be with them, and they are not the many, if I can tell you that. You'd have a hard job to get one country in South America that would even think of supporting the United States. You're surrounded by enemies. And you can look at these two great powers and you can see Israel. And as we look as those who are Christians, we look at it, we see Israel and we see Russia and all of its power befriending the Arab nations and underneath all the time one great desire for the black gold of oil. Take the oil from any nation and its whole industrial machine stops today. And then we see the United States and Great Britain and the others on the other side. And then we think, ah, but you see, we're going to help Israel. But may I remind you, as I said last week, that whether we're on one side or the other, our motives are not pure. They are not to defend the Jew because the Jew is God's people. There's not absolutely one thought of that. The one thought is, don't let Russia get those oil fields. And so the motive from our side is impure in that it has to do with the possession of oil. Knowing that the nation that controls that area of the world controls the power of the world. And it is said in the latest scientific journals that between 100 trillion and 200 trillion dollars worth of wealth exists in Israel, in its chemicals and in its oil the wealth of the universe. Great wealth stacked there. And we're bleeding ourselves dry. And so you wonder, why men get this idea in their head that they're going to be able to establish a kingdom in righteousness by themselves when Jesus has told us that those last days of Noah, which should be like the day of Lot, wickedness would be great, men would be given in marriage and being married and buying and selling, and in such a day as they thought, not Christ will come. I want to tell you, Noah preached it, and you can sit here this morning, and you can listen to me, and you can leave this church, and you can say, that's what Pastor Gian thinks, but I want to tell you, that's what Noah thought, and Noah preached it with all his heart, and nobody listened. But it didn't stop the flood. The floods came because God had said they would come. And so Christ is coming. When we read here that there's going to be a great conflict, a terrible conflict, oh, beloved, that we should know what it means to us and what it means to Israel, what it means to the world, what it means to creation, what it means to everything. The coming of Christ is everything. The coming of Christ, what does it mean to the church? Oh, 
What a day. The rapture of the church. What a day. Remember the portion that Ralph read? It said, come and rest with us when the wrath of God shall be revealed. Isn't that wonderful? Come and rest with us. How blessed the Lord is coming. But to the church, how wondrous and how precious. To know that the church itself shall be caught up. Listen, let me just mention them. Huh? John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. In this world, Jesus says there shall be great tribulation. Be of good cheer. Who is he speaking to? The world? No, to us. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Let, you know, when you come to a funeral service that I have, I use this portion all the time. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Jesus says, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. This is the one who is what? What does it say in Revelation? He who is faithful and what? True. If it were not so, I would have told you. Listen to this. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what? I will come again and receive you unto myself. Listen to the book of Acts. The church is wondering about Jesus. He's been crucified. He's been seen alive. And now he's going to ascend. And he leaves in the great charge of the church, Acts 1.8, and ye shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then, as he goes up, those two who are standing there, as he goes up, go look at the disciples and they say, why stand ye gazing up to heaven? Why, this same Jesus, even as ye see him taken up into heaven, flesh and bones, even so shall he come again. Isn't that blessed? Oh, listen, does your heart really rejoice? Are you walking that glory road with Christ? Huh? Even though all hell is breaking out upon the earth, are you walking the glory road with Christ? Do you know that your destiny is? that Christ has saved you in his blood and redeemed you, and your sins are gone, that you're cleansed, that you're made pure, and that when Christ comes for his church, you'll be one that's taken up. You're not going to be here when this great conflict takes place, when this terrible war breaks out, when the great supper of God comes and the fowls of the air shall eat of all of the flesh of kings and rulers and men and horses and all the rest. You'll not be here. You will be in the pavilions of heaven already for practically seven years during the marriage supper of the Lamb and the judgment seat of Christ. And you'll be with your Savior. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. These words are what? Faithful and true. You know, you can tell whether you're saved today if you believe that word, because if you don't believe that, you don't believe Jesus saved you. You can't. The same one speaking. And you can't take the word of God and say, this is, this is the joy of my heart, that you can't take the word of God and say, I believe in the salvation of God. I believe that I'm a redeemed soul. But when you come to that second coming, mentioned once in every 20-some-odd verses in the Scriptures, and when it comes to the second coming, I don't know whether I go along with that. Well, beloved, if you don't go along with that, you don't go along with Jesus. And he said, he that is not for me is what? Against me. 
Let not your heart be troubled. Listen to the church. This is the church's position. I want to speak about Israel to you. I want to speak about Russia to you. But I want to get the church off my heart because you're the church. You're the believers. I want you to have the kind of faith that really means something so you can walk with your family and with your children and understand what's coming. And be cheerful in the Lord and the power of his might and don't act in your family little units as though you're so disquieted by the whole thing. I hear people now and then say to me, I don't know how these things happen in the world. Well, now, you're a Christian. Don't you ever say that. Jesus has been talking all down through the Scriptures. And you can read Matthew 24 and 25, and you'll see everything about the world and the present conditions and how wicked it is. Then why are you saying, isn't it terrible? Yes, I, I don't like it, but I'm glad it tells me Christ is coming soon. I'm glad that it's pointing to the Savior's return. Listen, I'll just do this quickly because I see time has flown. I've spoke nearly 35 or 40 minutes. It doesn't seem possible. Kind of hard to hold myself down, you know. This red light here is flashing away. Thank you, you. I'll try to remember. Listen, listen to the word of God. Here's Paul speaking. Looking unto that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the Son of God in the clouds of heaven to take us to himself. <clears throat> listen to 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together with them, and then shall we ever be with the Lord. Wouldn't you just like to bask and stay there, huh? You want to memorize something? Memorize some of these, all right? You know when you get a little disquiet and you get a little uncomfortable and the world looks very sad and things are not going so good and jobs are kind of rare and you're a little shaky in your position and all the other things. Oh, beloved, won't you, re won't you memorize some of these and think of what's coming to you? Why, when the world loses everything, it has nothing left. But you can lose everything and have everything. What does the Lord Jesus say? If you gain your life, what do you do? Lose it. For my sake. Lose it. For my sake. That's Jesus speaking. Listen to these verses. Paul, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, our vile body shall be changed and fashioned like unto his glorious body. Isn't that wonderful? First John, we know not what we shall be, but we know that when we see Jesus, we shall be what? Like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Listen to Jesus. Father, glorify them with the glory which I had with thee from the beginning. Now I'm talking real Christianity. I'm not talking of those little platitudes that preachers get into pulpits and talk about being good boys, good girls. God wants you to be moral. 
but he wants it to come from a heart that's converted and has desires for holy things. And God's looking for young people upon whom the Holy Spirit will descend in power. And I thank God in this church that many of the young people are going to be serving God and are already preparing for that work. Maybe they'll never get there. But I'm glad that they're preparing for it if Jesus comes. Listen to 2 Corinthians. We know that if the body, our body, this house should be dissolved. I'll tell this, I tell it sometime at the funerals, but I'll mention it here. This is no funeral. <laughs> My funeral services are like this, though, so you, it's all right. If you, if you go to be the, before the, with the Lord before I do, you'll know just what I'm going to preach about. I'm not going to preach some solemn thing, you know, that it's so sad that you're gone. I'm going to have to say absent from the body is to be present for the Lord, with the Lord, for me to live as Christ and to die as what? Again. But when I get to this little portion, I just can't help but think, we know that if this body should be dissolved, we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Isn't that wonderful? This is the old house we dwell in. Eternal in the heavens. And I better close with this. They'll, that red light will jump off the thing at me. <laughs> Eternal in the heavens. When my Bob was, oh, I guess it was about eight years of age, which is 20-some-odd years ago now. It doesn't seem possible, but anyway, he was in school up at Linda Place here. And uh, the teachers at that time were telling all the children about the atomic bomb and how terrible it was. And when an atomic bomb bursts, all that can happen is that the windows are blown out and the bodies are drawn out and dropped into the street and all you become is a little grease spot. That's what the teachers tell them. And so they said the only thing we can do is either to go to the lower basement, don't try to run home if the warning comes, how many of you know anymore what the siren will sound like if there's an air attack? Very few. Remember how we used to have it all the time to tell us what it will sound like when we have an air attack? Oh, many, most of you young people, you don't remember, but we do. But anyway, Bob is sitting there. So after she gets all through, you know, and they're sitting there, yes, Bob. Bob says, teacher, I'm not afraid of the atomic bomb. She said, Bob, how can you say that? And he said, well, my daddy is a preacher. And my daddy taught me a verse. And that verse says, you just told us that if the bomb bursts, our bodies get dissolved. And there's a verse that says, if our bodies are dissolved, we have a house not made with hands in the heavens, which cannot be touched. She looked down at him. She said to all the class, class, Listen to what Bobby has to say so that you won't be afraid. That was all. She was a Jewish teacher, but she said it anyway. But how blessed, huh? Oh, there's so many other verses, you know, that I'd like to say. For this mortal must put on incorruption, uh, immortality, and this corruptible must put on incorruption. Then she'll be brought to pass that saying, Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be unto God that giveth us the victory through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. 
How do you feel this morning? Are you really saved? <laughs> do you really know Jesus? <laughs> do you? Well, let me tell you something. If you really know Jesus, you're not confused. The world doesn't confuse you one little bit. Because you know exactly what Jesus said about the world in the last days. And you know that all the signs are pointing to his coming. And I'll be talking about some of those. And I'll be talking about Israel and Russia and some of these precious things in Israel, in, in the different portions of Scripture, and Russia. But, beloved, to know that God has beforehand and warned us, don't you despise the prophecies. Because, and then it says, notice what it has to say in that portion of 1 Thessalonians, that the spirit of prophecy is Jesus. Not Mrs. Dixon. Mrs. Dixon has been proven 85 to 90% wrong in all her predictions. But the 15% she gets right are plastered all over the papers. I have a God who is 100% right. Isn't that great? Huh? 100%! Why? My words are what? Faithful and true. I hope you know him this morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for this wonderful, wonderful word. We read of this great conflict to come. We're so thankful that by faith we, we understand that knowing Christ the Savior will escape it. You said, come and rest with me when the wrath of God shall be revealed. Now, Lord, it could be that someone here this morning has never made a real decision. And even while I've been talking, they said, oh, I wish I could believe all this. Well, Lord, we know you can't believe it unless the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and you believe on Christ as your personal Savior. Then you believe on all these precious things. They're really the truths for the family of God, not for unbelievers. So, Father, we pray that if anyone here this morning has not yet come to Christ, that right here they'll do it. It's not a matter of being Methodist or Baptist or Presbyterian or any other sectarian group. This is personal. Lord, while our eyes are closed, if anyone would like to say, Pastor, just pray for me. Here's my hand. I really want Christ in my heart. Just put it up high and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. I want Jesus. Yes, I saw that hand. Lord bless you. Anyone else? I won't call you up forward. I'll just pray for you. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I really want Jesus in my heart. Anywhere else? Quickly, if the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart, oh, reach up to heaven now, and God will reach down from his heaven and save your soul by faith in Christ as your Savior. Anyone else? Quickly. Just, yes, I see your hand. Lord, bless you. Yes, I see your hand. Lord, bless you. Anyone else? Quickly. Oh, don't hesitate. Are you saying while you're sitting there, oh, I wish I had the courage? Well, here's the time. Have you ever confessed him before men? Well, Jesus says, whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. Anyone else to join these? Yes, I see your hand down here. Lord bless you. Praise the Lord. You put it down. Anyone else? Put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Don't wait. Oh, don't wait. Anywhere else? Quickly. Just a moment. Put your hand high and say, oh, this is the faith I want. Down deep in my heart. So then this word the pastor spoke this morning will be so real to me, I'll rejoice until I see Jesus face to face. Anyone? Quickly. 
Yes, I see your hands. I'm right down here. Praise God, serviceman. We rejoice with you. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Quickly. Hand up for the Lord Jesus. Here's my confession for Christ. I don't like to stop. If there's someone that's saying I should, well, this is the time. Do it right now. Put that hand up high and then take it down. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Anywhere else? Quickly, quickly. Just a moment, and then I close. Lord, we thank thee for these who have raised their hands for Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that thy Holy Spirit may dwell in them richly. Oh, may they experience great joy in Christ. And may the coming days be richer and more wonderful than it ever been before because of a simple, saving faith in Christ, the Redeemer who died for their sins and has given them eternal life through his resurrection. We thank thee, Father, for thy wondrous grace to all of us for the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.